Now, this is week two on we the church, we, we, we church, not me church. And we're learning just how big the body of Christ is. You know, it, it doesn't begin and end with us. Even though, uh, you know, the greatest thing that, that we experience in our lives is coming to know Jesus and being one with Jesus. It's, the body of Christ is so much greater than just us. And so through this four weeks, and we're on week number two, um, we're, we're, we're looking at how the body functions and how we're brought together and the fact that we, it's we, not just me, right? And uh, we're learning, actually, who we are in the church or in the body of Christ. You know, somebody says that the greatest thing that you can learn is who you are in Christ. I think one of the, one of the greatest things that we can also learn is who we are in the body of Christ, right? It's not just who we are in Christ, but who we are in Christ's body. We've been joined together with him, right? But there's many, many, many more people joined together with us. I know we've all played this game uh, growing up as kids in the back seat, maybe with your siblings or, you know, even if you were a, a, a single kid, just... Uh, Maybe playing with your imaginary friend. <laughs> Our friend you had stay over. And you're in the back seat. What do kids do? I don't know. Nobody teaches them how to do this. I don't know how it happened. But every, every kid is like, you know, drawing the line. There's a line there. Right in the middle. You stay on your side. I stay on my side. And normally it's the older one. Any older kids we had in here? You drew the line to keep your pesky sibling away from you. This is the line, don't cross it, or I'll tell mom, I'll tell dad. And, you know, we're part of the same family, but then we don't want to touch. You're touching me. You're touching me. And so today we're going to talk about touching one another. It's about relationships. It's about we, the people. We, the people of God. We, the church. It's not just about you. You know, the church didn't, didn't begin and end in you. It's about we. And so Romans chapter 12 and verse 5 from the Living Bible says this. Just as there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with Christ's body. We're all parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete. For we have different work to do. So we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. You know, why do we draw lines in the body of Christ? When Christ is, is the, the person that unites us, when we find our identity in Christ, we really should lose ourselves and become selfless to see the others in the body. And it's all about relationship, guys. Jesus brings us into this relationship with himself and with the body of Christ. But we have to learn how to live in unity, right? It's not, it's not natural. It's not natural. I'm going to have, uh, I need two volunteers. Josh and Layton, you make some good volunteers. Come on up here. Um, Layton, I want you to get on, on the keyboard. And Josh, you get on the drums. Now... Uh, Psalm 133 verse 1 says, 
Behold how good and pleasant it is that brethren dwell together in unity. And we're going to do a little demonstration here. These guys didn't know that I was going to ask them to do this. But they're brothers. They're in the same body. Now listen, they spend hours together, Thursday nights, practice, and they, they know one another. They play music. They're very good musicians. But here's what we're going to do to demonstrate this illustration, this, this principle here. Josh, I want you, I'm going to give you about 15 seconds to think of a song that you want to play. And Leighton, you think of a song that you want to play. And in about 30 seconds, 15, 15 seconds, I'm going to ask you to play it. So get it in your mind. Don't look at each other. Are you ready? Have you got a song in your mind that you want to play? Okay. Now, you can sing. Now, Josh, you don't have a microphone, so you can't sing. So if you'll just sing out the song and you'll just play. Are you ready? You got his mic on? All right, here we go. One, two, three. You were innocent. No, no. Your song. All right. All right. Okay. You see how one had to follow the other. They had to work together. The unity wasn't automatic. There was, there was some hesitation there. What song is he playing? What song, what song, uh, what song am I going to play? Um, it may have worked differently if we'd had two different instruments with two different singers. Like Jay, if Jay had brought his acoustic guitar and he would have sang a song and then Leighton was singing a totally different song, right? But th the point is, these guys are unified, but then it takes working together. It, it doesn't come, uh, unity doesn't come automatically. It's not automatic, right? We're in the body. We live together, but we have to learn how to work together. Thank you, guys. Um, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful, and it makes harmonious music when you're playing in the same key and the same tempo and you're playing the same song, right? What a mess it would be to have two different songs and two different keys and two different tempos. You couldn't even understand either one of the songs, right? So unity is not automatic. That's something you might want to write down. It's something that we have to work toward. Something that we have to work toward. And where the, the fact is, um, in order to walk in unity and love one another and serve one another, we must see that we're joined together in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So the word now signifies that before it wasn't possible to be in the body of Christ, but now since you made Jesus Lord, you're in the body of Christ and you're members together of that body. So we have to, uh, we have to learn how to walk together and work together as members in the same body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to uh, read a few verses here. 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 in the New King James Version. 
I think this is a very significant passage. And Josh alluded to it in the announcements. You know, your finger does no good if it's on the other side of the stage over here you, and, you, and you can't use it. 1 Corinthians 12, and beginning at verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so is also Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as it pleased him. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Right? So we're members of the body. And we, we should not say, I don't need you. If we should not say, I don't need you, what should we say? I need you. I need you. You're part of me. This the Jesus in me that needs the Jesus in you, right? And it's all about relationship. It's learning that it's, it's we, not me. We're put together in the body, but we have to learn how to work toward this thing called unity. You know, sitting next, next to you is somebody in the body. But do you know them? How well do you know them? How deeply do you know them? Or do we act like we don't even know that they exist? You know, when, when, when you see someone in the grocery store that you know, that you don't want to deal with, do you run down the other aisle and say, well, I'm just going to pretend like they don't exist? You know, why do we have broken relationships in the body of Christ? That's the big question for me as a pastor. I've seen it for years and years and years. And, and it, it, it is troubling to know that Christ has joined us together and to see so much dysfunction and so many broken relationships and how people are hurt. People jump out of the frying pan and into the fire thinking that it, the grass is greener on the other side or the church down the street is, is going to be a whole new wonderful experience. And they, the, the trouble is when they get to the next church, they're there in all of their dysfunction. Because if other people are your problem, guess what? There's a common denominator. <laughs> it's me. So I have to live with me. So I can only fix me. And I have to learn that the body is not about me. The body is about we. How do I walk in love? How do I grow? How do I learn to adjust to the person next to me? And realize that I only know that much and they only know that much. We're imperfect. We need each other. 
And because we chose Jesus as our Lord, it was a privilege that he made us a part of his body. We didn't deserve it. Some people act like they deserve it, like they deserve grace, and they deserve their mansion on their street, (laughs) you know. And the real truth of the matter is, we didn't deserve any of it. And if you realize that you didn't deserve it, how much more grateful are you to be a part of something that is so wonderful? But the moment that you think that you deserve it, it doesn't become wonderful to you. It becomes common. And the things that are common, you gradually learn to despise. Right? But it is a privilege to be a member of his body. The, the, the result of you being in the body is a choice, but that choice was made because of his grace. Because of his grace. You know, there's some things that, that try to separate us. And uh, in the body of Christ, I think there's two major things. The first thing being comparison. It's, it's huge. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Comparison is huge in the body. We live in a society that compares everything. You know, you, you, you go to the grocery store and you're, you're there to buy a can of black beans. Now, you can go to the black bean section. I like black beans, by the way. And I look for the black beans. And now you can have three different brands of black beans. Or then you can have black beans with spice in them. Or black beans with peppers in them. And then, you know, it seems every year you go back to buy... Uh, uh, I don't know, barbecue sauce. Half of the shelf, the 40-foot shelf, is barbecue sauce. You've got Kansas City. You've got, uh, Saint, uh, you know, you've got Carolina. You've got, uh, it, it's just endless. Can you see how comparison, ooh, I don't like that. Ooh, I don't like that taste. And then, you know, you go to another country And they put a plate of food before you. They don't give you any choice. And, you know, if you're hungry, you just don't say, well, ooh, I don't like that. So the the prosperity that we enjoy sometimes can be the double-edged sword where we think we have to have something just the way that we want it. And it's It's comparison. I see this in the church all the time. Well, that church and that church and that church and that church. Halfway around the world, there's a group of people that want a church. A church that are walking two hours in the morning barefooted to get to a church. And we fuss over the smallest things because, and the root of it is comparison, guys. Look here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. This is the Living Bible. It says, Oh, don't worry. I wouldn't dare say that I'm as wonderful as these other men who tell you how good they are. Their trouble is that they're only comparing themselves with each other and measuring themselves against their own little ideas. What stupidity. That's that's 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Is that what you guys are seeing? When you measure yourself with yourself or you measure yourself up against someone else, 
That's small thinking. It's stupidity. Your heavenly Father doesn't compare you with someone else. Why should you compare yourself with anyone else? Or why should you compare your church with any other church? Or why should you compare your car with someone else's car? Oh, I like this. This is the best car. So every other car is like, whatever. You know, we, we, we struggle for the best. But then when we find the best, there's even something better. <laughs> it's futile. This scripture says it's stupidity. <laughs> Why do we think that comparison is, is, is all that? Comparison. Think about that, guys. It's a, it's a huge subject, but it's, it's, it's relevant here. Because here's what happens. When we make relationships with each other, we find things in common, right? What do we like? What do you like? Oh, I like that. You like that. Oh, we can connect. We connect on things that are common. And then we want to go deeper in relationship. As we go deeper, guess what happens? We find out that we have differences. Oh, you like that? Well, I don't like that. Oh, you like that? How could you like that? I don't like that. And then the, the, how, we're, how we're drawn together as we go deeper has the same ability to separate us as we compare ourselves. We've got to really work hard. Remember, remember I said it's, it's, it's God who joins us together, but we have to work hard at unity, right? We have to work hard at looking at our differences and appreciating someone else for their differences. Not everybody was, was raised where you were raised. Not everybody has the same color skin you have. Not everybody has the same cultural background that you have. And I tell you, you become a bigger person when you begin to appreciate others' differences, right? God, God, listen, God is the one who teaches the best diversity class. This is not anything. Diversity training began with God. Come on, guys. You're looking at me like, oh, he's preaching some heresy here. God says, you're all my children. And I love all of you. Right? Now, he sent Jesus and said, there's only one way to heaven. And that's through my son, Jesus. I love all of you. And I've made a plan for all of you to be up here. But you can only come through Jesus. But then when we get born again, we have the ability, guys, to love people that don't look like us. That don't talk like us. Right? Comparison kills, but love appreciates differences. You know, in the church we find this uh, comparing denominations. Well, what do you believe? What do you believe? And, And most of the time it's just quoting some doctrinal stance or statement. People are sitting in churches today, right now, right this very moment. They're sitting there. They may know the doctrinal statement and the doctrinal stance of the church that they're sitting in, but not even believe it. 
I would venture to say that half of Christians don't even know what they believe. But we're all followers of Christ, right? And we're learning. But you see small wars in families over Baptist versus Methodist. Well, you this and you, and we don't do it that way, and you don't do it that way. And like, really? We're part of the same body. We're part of the same family. Let me just tell you, if you're at war with another member of your family right now, this may be a word from God. If you're at war over doctrinal differences and the way your church implements whatever, stop. It's not of God. It's not of God. It's not of God. God is into unity. He's into uniting the body of Christ. And there's a lot more to agree on than to disagree on. That was a good place for a good amen. The second thing is offense. I mean, it's very clear. When uh, people disagree, it brings offense. Look at Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 19. I know the Holy Spirit's working on us to unite us so that we can see each other as valuable and precious. This is one of, one of the topics I really, really, really enjoy studying and ministering and speaking about because it's so, it's so near the heart of God, His body. Think about that. Jesus paid for His body with His blood. That's why it's so dangerous to allow offense between you and another Christian. It's, let, me, let me say it again. It's dangerous for you to allow offense in your life towards another Christian. Why? Because Jesus paid for that person with his blood. And when you stand against that person, you're standing against Jesus' body. That's pretty serious, Right? Proverbs 18, 19, look at this. It is harder to win back the friendship of an offended brother than to capture a fortified city. His anger shuts you out like iron bars. I believe it's the number one reason that people leave, out of, leave a church. And I've had people say to me, look me square in the eyes and say, Pastor, I'm okay. There's no offense. Nobody at the church has done anything wrong. But I just feel like I have to leave. And I know that anything I say is not going to change their decision. And so I'm, if you understand the word, arrested by the Holy Spirit to smile and love and pray and bless and go on. My heart hurts because I can tell you that I know that there's some offense. But unless that person's ready to get to identify it and get rid of it, then there's really not anything that I can do. And a lot of times, people will meet after the fact that they've already decided. We've decided to leave, so I'm leaving, and I just want to let you know on the way out that there's nothing that you can do to change my mind because I'm out the door. I don't want to work it out. First, I don't want to admit that there's any offense, but I sure don't want to work it out because that means pain. I have to go to that person that's offended me. And listen, most of the time, it's not the pastor. It's not the pastor. It's somebody in the church that said something that offended some person, and they're like, you know, I'm over it. That's the fifth time that they have not complimented me on my 
what I'm wearing, and I'm out. Or whatever. You can't even imagine some of the small things, guys. And, and we've got to realize that it's about we, not me. It's about we. Hurt feelings. And I'm not downplaying hurt feelings at all. When you hurt, the Bible says when you hurt, the body hurts. But there's good news. Jesus heals. <laughs> I've been hurt. You've been hurt. All God's children have been hurt. But there's good news. Jesus heals. The next question after that is, do you want to be healed? If you want to be healed, there's healing. But if you want to take your hurt, then there's nobody that can save you from yourself, not even Jesus. It will pull you into a pit of self-pity. And self-pity leads to depression, leads to isolation. So when you dig a hole and put yourself in it, you withdraw and you become isolated. You say things like, I will never trust another person. I will never trust another pastor. I will never trust another Christian. And pretty soon, you're not trusting God. It's easy to find fault in imperfect people. You know, the Lord said that to me one day. I was like, but they're wrong, Lord. They're wrong, Lord. They're wrong. And he said, yeah, it's easy to find fault in imperfect people. And then he said, you deal with the pole. The pole, P-O-L-E. There's a pole right here. So if I make sure that I'm pole-free, that's a good phrase, right? I'm going on a campaign to be pole-free, pulling the pole for my eye so that when you realize that there's a splinter in your eye, that you can say, hey, brother, I can, I can see through my splinter that you don't have anything in your eye. Could you help me get this splinter out of my eye? Because I'm not in a position, if I have a pole in my eye, to help anybody pull a splinter out of their eye. You see that? <laughs> Do you see that? If I got a big pole and my brother has a splinter and he says, help me, help me, I've got a splinter and I've got a big pole. I can't see to help him get the splinter out. So I have no right judging anyone at all, at any time, for any reason. We're not called to judge, lest we be judged. That's the scripture in, in the New Testament, guys. There's only one judge. Who is that? Tell me. Jesus, God. God God's the only one that knows the heart of man. And listen, and, uh, uh, there's, there's always a chance to repent. There's always a chance to repent. Until that person is off of this earth, there's always a chance to repent and turn and change and so none of us have the right to judge. This helps us walk together as a family. You know, there are people 
in society today that divorce their families. I divorce you. You're not a part of me. And I've talked to some people recently, and there's pain there because they haven't been with their natural family for years. Seven, eight years I haven't seen this person in my family because we had a a disagreement or whatever. There's pain there. But listen, Jesus reconciles. He reconciles us to himself, and he reconciles people with other people. If we allow the love of God to flow from us, and we begin to see people like Jesus sees them, then he will bring us back together, and there will be a reunion and restoration. Right? So, what is required to stay together? What's required to stay together? Four things, I believe. uh, Care. C-A-R-E. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25. This is in the Amplified. One of those Amplified versions. There's one, and then there's number one Amplified version and number two Amplified version. AMPC and the AMP, and this is uh, AMPC. For all you studious people out there that now you're looking for both versions. So 1 Corinthians 12, 25, 26, it says, So that there should be no division or discord or lack of adaptation of the parts of the body to each other. But the members all alike should have a mutual interest in and care for one another. What we need to work for is a mutual interest and care for one another. Right? The thing that is all alike about each part of the body is that it has a mutual interest and a mutual care for one another. Your physical body is designed that way. You know, I used the example, I think, last week of when I smashed my finger on, uh, with a hammer. The, the rest of my body went immediately into uh, a mode where we're protecting this finger. Like, go get the ice. I mean, you know, I didn't, I, wasn't ha- I never had any training to care for a finger that I smashed. I didn't go to a class to learn what to do. And I've never smashed my finger in 54 years. I've never smashed my finger with a hammer. But the first thought was, you stupid fool, why did you do that? <laughs> and then when I, go to, when I got over that thought, the next thought was, help your finger because it's hurting. Go get some ice. And I mean, just naturally, I knew that my finger was going to swell up, you know. Our natural bodies are designed by God to be mutually interested in each of the parts, right? And to care for one another. Well, if our natural bodies are designed by God to do that, why don't we do that in the body? We've got to work at it, guys. We've got to value each other even more. So the first thing is see care or concern. The first letter in care is stands for concern. Philippians two, four, the Message Bible. Philippians two four the Message. This is a, a great scripture here. You want to study this all week. This is huge. 
If you've gotten anything out of all, uh, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push, away, push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Now, that, that is just a picture of concern. Esteeming others higher or more than ourselves. It doesn't say necessarily esteeming others better than ourselves, but valuing others more than ourselves first. You know, I'm third. I'm third. God's first, others are second, and I'm third. If I put God first and I go to him for everything, he's going to show me others, others are before myself. Does that, do, do you hear that? Do you, do you wrap your heart around that? Because the more I look at myself, the smaller my world grows. But the more I look at others, the bigger my world grows. If you're dealing with, with self-pity and depression, you start focusing on other people. I'm telling you, the Spirit of God will reach down into that horrible pit of self-pity and pull you out, and you'll be baking cookies for your neighbors. You'll be over there washing your neighbor's car and thinking, why am I doing this? Because God himself is pulling you up and out of that sorrow, misery, and pity, and depression to get you up and out and start moving again. Start moving and giving and serving and moving and giving and serving and moving and giving and serving. God created us as a body to move and give and serve. The minute we serve self, it's like the, the picture of you going home and saying, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have a, a movie marathon. Me, myself, and I. I'm going to turn on Netflix and I'm going to watch... Andy Griffith Marathon, because I like Andy Griffith. And Barney makes me laugh. So I'm going to get my popcorn, my peanuts, my potato chips, my diet Coke soda with a lime twist, and I'm going to sit here and eat and drink and watch this for hours and hours. So selfish. I'm going to do what I want to do. This is me time. People say, this is me time. I'm going to have a me time. Now, I'm not saying that we should neglect ourselves. Yes, there should be a Sabbath and there should be rest and restoration. But even then, our time is, is subject, submitted to the Lord, right? We have to be concerned with others. Number two, acceptance. A. The A in care is acceptance. Acceptance brings us towards others. Colossians 3.12. Colossians 3.12 says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, 
kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Notice that it says you have to put on that heart of kindness. So it's something that you may not necessarily have on at the time. Right? There are things in the Bible, the the scriptures in the Bible that say put off and put on. This this makes you aware that it's not natural. It's natural to take care of me, myself, and I. But the more I take care of me, myself, and I, again, my world becomes smaller. The more I put on this heart of compassion, remember what compassion is, or remember what compassion did in Jesus' earthly ministry, he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. So from the inside out, from his heart, he was moved with this love that moved him toward the crowd, not away from the crowd. He never once told his disciples, you know, usher me out of here, keep me away from the people, make a barrier around me because you know why? Because uh, they don't need to touch me. They, they can't destroy the anointing. Uh, you know, you've got to protect me. I've got to move away from the people. Jesus never moved away from the people. He was moved with compassion toward the sick, and he healed them. So when we put on this heart of compassion, guess, guess where it moves us? Towards people. To accept people. To accept people. This church should not look like me. 54-year-old white guy. It should look like heaven. It should look like the community that's around us. And I'm trying really hard, intentional. I'm working really hard at being intentional about our congregation not looking like me. Why? Because I accept everyone. I believe, I believe everyone ha- needs a chance to hear the gospel, to make Jesus Lord, and then to become a disciple of Christ. There's three things. You've got to hear the gospel first. Before we judge, well, they're acting like, but you don't even know. You don't know if they're born again. Maybe they never even heard the gospel. Are you willing to preach the gospel to them? Well, they're, they say they're saved, but they're not acting like they're saved. Right? Well, how do you know they are? Have you talked with them? Have you accepted them enough to help them move from being a believer to a disciple? Right? Acceptance is so needed in the body of Christ today. We want to draw lines and say, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Ooh, ooh. Don't touch me. But we need each other. Are reaching out. Reaching out. Galatians 6.2 in the Message Bible. Galatians 
says, live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. That's so powerful. But you've got to be moved with compassion before you stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law of love. I just put of love. Christ's law is a law of love. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. So we're all called to reach out. And again, uh, a specific word for those who, who are in this area of depression. It is a sickness of the soul that Jesus has healing for. And it begins with self-pity, feeling sorry for ourselves. And it's like digging a pit. Listen, you can always find some wor- somebody worse off than you. And you can always find somebody better off than you. So if you've been dealing with those thoughts and feelings and different things, here's, here's an instruction from the Lord. Reach out. Reach out. Don't stay. Don't allow the devil to start throwing dirt on the top of you while you're in that pit. Refuse to stay in the pit, come up and out, and start reaching out. Start reaching out. Start asking the Lord to show you things that other people need that you can do to pull you out of that place. We've all been there, but we don't all have to stay there, right? And the E, the E in care, the last one, last point here is effort. Again, it takes effort to live in unity, to live in harmony takes effort to play the same piece of music together in the same tempo, the same key, the same song, the same words, right? It takes effort. First John chapter 3 and verse 17 and 18. First John 3, 17 and 18. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? That's a good question, isn't it? In other words, we need to put our hands behind what we speak. We need to show that we love and not just talk about it. If we are born again, then we have the love of God in us. And if we have the love of God in us, then the compassion of the Lord should move us to do something. Right? And then verse 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue but in deed and in truth, which means that we shouldn't just talk about it. Don't talk about what you did 10 years ago. What are you doing today? What kind of opportunities do you have before you today to love someone? Listen, you can't do over your past as good or as bad as it was. You know, just leave those trophies behind you. I did this and I did that and it's just all about me. And when, when I was, when I was, when I was and what I did and look at me and 
People that say that and boast about what they did and how wonderful they were and what they did, it's almost like, you know, I, I have an excuse to do nothing now. I think I'll just sit down and take a rest because of all the things that I've done. Hmm. Wow. This feels good. Resting on my laurels. <laughs> right? Jesus never quit. He never quit. He strapped his towel around himself, washed those dirty feet of those disciples, some that were going to betray him, up on the cross. He's in agony and pain. And he prays for the ones on the left and the right. It doesn't matter what you did. It's what, what are you doing? What are you doing right now? What are you doing to... Care. What are we doing to care about the body of Christ? What are we doing to serve the body of Christ? Let's not just say it. Let's show it. Amen? Relationships in the body should be healthy because Jesus has provided healing and instruction in his word. We should be healthy. My desire... Our desire, I speak, when, when, when I say my, Pastor Sheila and I are one. We are one. We've been one 31 years to, together. And what I say, she says. What she says, I says. We are one. <laughs> and our desire as pastors of the church is to see a healthy church that is growing more healthy by the day and stronger by the day so that we can reach up and out and do the work of the ministry and see people healed and saved, set free, empowered and discipled, equipped and serving in ministry, strong in the Lord and the power of His might to do the work of the ministry, guys. We've got what it takes. Jesus is our healer. He gave us His love and His compassion. And listen, if you've been, if you've been hurt today, I want to pray for you. Go ahead and stand where you are. Just stand where you are. You may never have heard these words before. But if you have been hurt by somebody in the ministry, if you've been hurt by a pastor before, I'm asking you on their behalf, would you please forgive me? Leadership in ministry is imperfect. People are imperfect. There's not a perfect leader around and hurt is real and I don't ever want to make light of that but I know that Jesus heals I know that he heals and so if you've been holding on to any bitterness resentment, hurt any kind of offense go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes everybody around just think just a minute let the Holy Spirit speak to you Maybe it's something that you kind of put way in a, in a corner, in a box of your life. But it's still there. And you want to deal with it. Just right where you are, just give, just give it to the Lord.
Just say, Lord, I, I, I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. I just give it all. I surrender. Like that word that came this morning. Surrender. Just surrender it. 